In today's quest, we are keeping up with the Merovingian tradition. Treachery is afoot. This is the quest for power. Welcome back to the Quest for Power, where we are ranking and reviewing all of the European monarchs from the early Middle Ages to World War I. We are your self-proclaimed lore masters, Scott and Michael, and we are going to be taking you on a quest to expand your knowledge and to discuss the history and lore of Europe. So today we're going to be uncovering the secrets of Kildebert, first of his name, Kinslayer, Relic Hunter, King of Paris, King of Orléans, co and co-king of Burgundy. So if you're looking for some more adventure and want to join the Lore Masters Guild, you can do so at patreon.com slash questforpower. There we have some side quest episodes for you to discover people, places, factions, and things hidden in European lore. Dungeons that are not in the main quests, and you get a shout out welcoming you to the guild. So Scott, what have you been up to lately? We uh we haven't had a D and D session. We get one on this week though. Hopefully, that's right. Yeah, yeah. If all goes well, we will continue our uh, our Dungeons and Dragons escapades. But you, you got it all set up in your head. A little bit. There's some things where i'm i just decide on how much i want to tie things in with other places in the world or if it's just kind of an insulated like one-off thing oh gotcha gotcha that's so kind of a that kind of colors a lot of it but i i know the, the theme but i yeah I'm, this is going to be a lot of like last minute just really jotting things down okay working well, things those so. are some of the best sessions we've had though so that should be yeah fun. yeah well dungeons are a little different because you have to think about some of the implications of what you're doing and sometimes you just don't and you get some really great stuff you also get some really bad stuff mm -hmm. i've done plenty of both i think it just comes down to and this kind of goes with pretty much i think anything in like game design because i feel like that's what dungeon building especially is all about is game design and that's kind of like what what are you trying to incentivize and is it fun so it's like okay yeah, do i want that makes sense yeah that, that's why like nowadays most people who are doing dungeons nowadays don't just put traps in the middle of hallways without any warning whatsoever yeah or even if they have even if the answers are subtle or, or like maybe the players can suss it out with like a check it's not very good for the flow of the dungeon usually because although it may make sense from a like design perspective like if you were practically trying to stop people from entering, you would probably put something in that would just be very unexpected. But mm -hmm. what happens is, is you put a trap somewhere and it's completely out of the blue. Players have no idea. Then what it incentivizes them to do is all of a sudden stop and check everything. Yeah, And that's exactly. not very fun. You're going to yeah, have half, no. the yeah, half the players are going to be checking stuff. Usually the people who are good, at investigation or good perception and then the other half of the party's bored so yeah exactly yeah it's a balancing act so i try and often fail to be a little more intentional with some of my design pieces but 
yeah i, I also have the fun challenge i think my character has the observe trait so that'll be interesting to see what you <laughs> just throw that wrench in your wheel yeah so and that's the other part is like yeah trying to find things that are engaging with players and their abilities mm -hmm. yeah half the party's new so that's the other part is i don't know what i'm designing for and it's that high level yeah. so things are very unpredictable so yeah it's either we sweep the floor or it's a tpk and it's pretty close uh we haven't had too much of that it's no thankfully uh, it but it is definitely one of those things where it feels unforgiving at times so yeah that's true all right well let's get on to the main for everyone else that doesn't care about dungeons and dragons i, I get it uh for before we dive in today's quest we're gonna go through our sources like usual um and per usual it's the merovingians we're doing gregory of tours like kildebert's uh brothers all of his pre brothers episodes um greg is writing based on other people's stories and notes uh kildebert is one of the more religious brothers I'm not sure it's saying much but he's one of the more religious brothers so i feel like gregory goes a little easy on him whereas some of the other ones he kind of really digs in and tries to really show how wicked they are so that'll be kind of interesting and with that dm let's start today's session the frankish kingdoms are at war king clovis of the Cilian franks is still currently murdering anyone he considers family except his wives and children I've heard this story before. I know. The, the one thing I guess I will add is that um, I'm either right now or soon the kingdom will have converted to Christianity. I do there. It's not very clear from the sources what like children wise. I know it's after Clodomer, but that's about all I know is it's after him because it's like uh Kildebert's born in the same year Clovis converts, so kind of yeah. got that going for us. Anyway, before he uh, is raised on his shield and takes the throne, uh, we start our story in the Frankish city of Reims, where the Frankish queen, consort Clotilda, is giving birth to her third son with King Clovis, and the child is named Kildebert. Clovis may have been near Clotilda during this birth. By near, I mean like in a different room. God forbid he'd be in the same room. That's a dirty room considered at this time because for some reason when uh, women are given birth. So like the kid has to be get birth, cleaned up, and then it can be presented to the king. He's yeah, either he's too good for that, apparently yeah yeah it's just the way it goes it, it, yeah a lot of religion gets involved in that one and then he's either that or he's still doing his favorite pastime of killing relatives and then once he hears the birth then he comes home we don't know yeah. which one yeah and then the record goes dark we hear nothing about kildebert until clovis dies for the fifth time now in our podcast and this time Kildebert is made king of Paris, so we are following him this time. So 
per usual, what previous kings are ruling while he is that we've covered while he's crowned. We have Theodoric the Great, and who is the reigning Ostrogothic king in Italy, and we have Thrasimund, who is the peaceful persecuting evil Aryan Vandal King in Carthage, at least according to the Nicene Christians. And that is episode 13. If for some reason you want to hear about a peaceful persecuting story. All right. And with that, his reign begins. At some point in his reign, he will get married to a woman named Ultra Gotha. And this doesn't really help much. But based on her name, historians have figured out that it's a feminine name that's an East Germanic, and she's either an Ostrogoth, a Visigoth, a Burgundian, and she is most likely royalty. That's all we get from where she's from. Well, we narrowed it down. We we did. We did. Uh, They have two daughters, and that's all we know about their marriage. So say hi and bye to Ultra Gotha. God forbid we... uh, know anything else record keeping yeah i can't wait till we get better sources <laughs> it's gonna be a while though yeah yeah this feels like <laughs> it feels like a long way long way oh. out yeah this is a really good time at sources we actually will i think have a dark age pretty soon uh towards the end of the merovingian reign after uh we no longer have greg so i should be thankful for him because they killed everybody. That's yeah. probably why there is nobody there to record stuff. They killed them all. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They tend not to kill the clergy who write things down. But yeah. Tend not to. Tend They not just strike to. fear in the heart of the rest of them. I mean, that, yeah, they Make definitely sure they do know that. their place. That they definitely do. They have zero problems with that. Kildebert's kingdom consists the northwest of France, except for Brittany. Um, fun fact, that's where like the Britons are, where King Arthur could have been from instead of um, England is another theory. So that's kind of interesting. That is, those Britons are the ones that will go to England, though. Yeah, yeah. That area is not under Frankish control. They tried and they failed. Um, and then he also gets the area around Normandy. France, um, which is separated from his other domains. Oh, sorry. Normandy is part of his main one. Separate, he owns a part of Bordeaux, France, that is south of the Loire River, and it's right near Spain. It's um, I, it's like off the Atlantic. It's not really off the Atlantic coast. It's off whatever that sea is there by that, I don't know, that U-shaped coast. I don't know what. Do you get where I'm talking about? A little bit, but it's at the, I'm having it's, difficulty just picturing the map in my mind right now. Okay. It's um the bottom of France. It's like the south, um let's just let's we'll just say south southwest of France is basically it. Oh, it's off the Bay of Biscay. Oh, okay. Sorry, you see where Bordeaux is? Okay, so it's south, yeah, it's southwest of France by Bordeaux, and it's right off the Bay of Biscay, and he kind of owns all, all the land around that area for okay. those looking yeah. at a map. Sounds like a sea. I'm like, you mean like the Atlantic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, it's a okay. bay. Right. It is much better. Okay. There we go. All right, corrected. 
Like Clodomer in our previous episode, we know nothing that happened in his rule until about 13 late years later in 524. I, as I'm researching uh, Clotaire's episode, I think it's just because the uh, Clovis' sons are like really too young yet and they're not like in their full, you know, power, so to speak. I think they might still be under the thumb of Clotilda for a little bit during this time and that's why we hear nothing about them. Because they're not encouraged to do anything. They're just like building up their power, I guess. Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, Kildebert was part of his mother's Avengers Alliance, we'll call them, uh, against the Burgundian king Gundobad's son, Sigismund, in 524. Remember, Gundobad is the accomplice. Oh, sorry. Yeah, remember, Gundobad is the accomplice. Not the accomplice. Gundobad killed... Hmm his mother's family when she was young and now they're yep, getting revenge down the well yeah down the well exactly there you go and then kildebert is an accomplice he's not the leader that would be clodomer to the murder of saint sigismund and his family all the entire family was beheaded and tossed into a well we went into detail of this little story uh last episode number 31 if you want to check that out uh the avengers also took part in a battle at Verons, where his brother Clodomer was killed in the fighting on June 25th, 524. Again, same thing as last episode. Uh, Clodomer's children were placed under the protection of Kildebert's mother, Queen Dowager St. Clotilda. And this is when we start getting into the details a little bit. Kildebert went, we should not let tragedies go to waste like any good politician. And according to Gregory of Tours, Kildebert sent a letter to his brother, Clotaire, his youngest brother, and said, our mother has defenseless nephews. You should come to my palace and we should discuss what can be done with them. And uh, Clotaire was ecstatic. He said, yep, I'll be right there. It's a trap. Don't do it. It's a trap. <laughs> I'm shouting at the TV right now. Yep. The uh, uh, Kildebert went to work immediately. This is when, you know, this is when you get someone who's really good at plots and manipulation. He began spreading the news that the kings, he and his brother, were meeting for the purpose of raising their young, young meeting for the purpose of raising their young nephews to become kings. I'm guessing they're like, hey, well, we're trying to figure out, you know, all the ceremonies and things like that. We're trying to figure it all out, what the land should be. And he's kind of spreading those rumors around. So no one is any of the wiser. Because otherwise you go, why is he, you know, with you? Yeah. What are you guys yeah. planning? Yeah. yeah, what are you two plotting? And it wasn't long till Kildebert received news from a messenger. Hey, his brother has arrived. And the two brothers clasped hands, I'm guessing, gave a warm welcome. And he, after get, letting him get situated, the two met alone and began plotting guessing over many cups of wine and in their plotting they came to a decision that you know what we're gonna be nice about this we will let our nephews either cut their hair or cut their life and then we'll take clodomer's lands either way because that's what we really want we don't really care about what happens to them so they're being merciful, Scott. 
Yeah, that's what they call it, huh? <laughs> Mercy. Yeah. Uh, the two kings played up this facade for a while and all the while they're making public plans of showing off. Um, yeah, like, okay, we're ready to hand off Clodomer's kingdom. And yet at the same time, while they're making, showing that off, they actually are negotiating between the two of them, how they're going to, you know, split up the kingdom and the treasury. Oh, and you know, who gets his wife? Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm, um, yeah. Actually, I think that was made up already. I think that was already made up. I think uh, Clotaire already got that because maybe uh, Kildebert was already married and he didn't want another one. I don't know. Oh, okay. But eventually they sent messengers over to their mother saying, hey, you should send our nephews over and then we can raise them to the throne. And Clotilda was ecstatic. She's like, wow, you know, I may have lost a son, but at least, you know, my nephews will carry on his tradition. And so she sent the two boys and uh, to the palace. And then she kind of followed right behind. Uh, immediately, once the nephews arrived, they were seized and dragged over to the two kings. Uh, they were cut off from basically all of their household. And then after a while, uh, the two kings asked for their mother's presence. And when she arrived, her own two children demanded that she cut the prince's hair. And then that way, she is the one depriving them of their loyal royalty. And it's, you know, it's not on them. What a thing to do to your own mother. Yeah. She's like, where did I go wrong? That's psychological torture. Yeah. That is brutal. Like, she Man, Clovis really... Uh had the stronger genes in the scenario i think i'm yeah my goodness yeah they really took after yeah. their father in inherited his ruthlessness yeah she looked at them with disbelief and said i raised these boys to be kings fuck off clotaire looked at his mother's dead in the eyes and went so be it and he grabs the oldest child named teotobald who is only 10 years old by the arm and plunges a dagger into his armpit and as the boy dies without mercy he lets the boy fall limp and to the floor gurgling his last breaths as you can imagine, the other boy, Gunther, who's only seven years old, immediately threw himself to his other uncle and begged for mercy. He's seven, and he just saw his brother get murdered in front of him, and pretty sure that's what's going to happen to him. Yeah, yeah, that stands to reason. And, yeah, so hearing the screams of the oldest child, Kildebert got cold feet. Turns out murdering your nephews in cold blood for their kingdom is pretty disgusting when you think, you know, I don't know, two seconds about it. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of a poor time, poor time to have his morals come back to him for a second. Yeah, yeah, kind of is when blood is already on your hands. Almost literally. I'm sure it probably literally, literally, they're probably close enough. So tears are streaming down his face and he turns to his bloodthirsty brother and basically says, let him live. Please let him live. I will pay a king's ransom for his life. And Clotaire, his youngest brother, stares at him with an icy cold stare and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. This whole thing was your idea. 
are you that pathetic that you cannot follow through? If that's the case, you can die in his stead. Remember the whole time Clotilda is there Mm -hmm. in unimaginable psychological torture watching this whole thing unfold and helpless to do anything. Kildebert decides that he would rather live, so he grabs the other son, grabs his dagger, and cuts the child's throat, and then lets him fall right next to the traumatized Clotilda, who I doubt will ever look at her sons the same way again. And uh, Kildebert must have not had too bad of Clofeet cold feet because he and Clotaire then massacred the children's household their defenseless servants and tutors were soon laying in a pool of their own blood so based on this whole story is all from Greg Gregory but I'm calling bullshit on the fact that Kildebert had cold feet I think that he is trying to paint Clotaire as a much more evil individual than Kildebert in this situation. And again, I think it's because Clotaire is against the church. He does not give a fuck about the church. But Kildebert is the more religious of the brothers. So maybe he's trying to soften that blow. And there's some things that happen later on in Kildebert's reign that also make me think this. Yeah. Or he just wants to tell a good story. That too. I mean, he does like to weave a good story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The two princes' brother, Clodald, managed to escape. He must not have been with them at the time. Uh, He cut his own hair. Like, like, I'll just cut it myself. And uh, he became venerated as Saint Cloud. Uh, The Merovingian kings then split up Clodomer's kingdom, annexing parts of it to their own domain along with his treasury. Uh... Clodomer received hit uh not Clodomer. Clotaire received Clodomer's wife as his first wife. And we'll go into detail on that next episode. However, back to this one. One day, around 531, a courier came up to him and said, I've got something to deliver, your hands only. He hands him a package which contains a bloody handkerchief and a letter from his sister Clotilda who is currently married to the to Amal, Amalaric, king of the Visigoths. Uh, remember, they did this marriage, Clovis and Clotilda did this marriage to kind of create peace between the two nations. Yeah, you mean the of, one that didn't last? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And in the letter, she writes that she is being abused because of her beliefs as a Chalcedonian Christian, also a Nicene Christian, in an evil Aryan Christian court. And this handkerchief is proof of her mistreatment. So immediately, he sets out with his war band. He invades Visigothic Spain. He chases Amalric into Barcelona, which is... If people don't know, that is in the, I want to say, northwest-ish of, not north, northeast-ish of uh, Spain. Mm-hmm. While in Barcelona, uh, Amalric gives a visit from a child of the night as an assassinated. Uh, basically, Kildebert paid someone to, to, to take him out there and... Kildebert loads up with loot and he heads back home. 
So basically he went on a raid to grab his sister and come back home, kill the king and come back. Unfortunately, his sister Clotilda didn't make it back to Paris alive and she perishes sometime along the way. Her body is placed alongside her father Clovis. So Clotilda buries both her husband and her daughter. So something doesn't add up here. His sister somehow managed to sneak a letter with a blood-stained handkerchief in a letter basically that says, come rescue me, and no one found out. Yeah, it's just one of those... Um, it's one of those things that I feel like is just... We have a lot of stories that are made up or probably fabricated for the sake of being able to justify yeah an invasion yeah it has to be because why else because if that was the case wouldn't his brothers all join him they do everything together anyway right now yeah they kill yeah, family it, members together like plus like i mean the uh the handkerchief how much proof are you really how much proof are you really going to get out of a handkerchief exactly yeah like it's not like they have dna they can't test her blood <laughs> you know? they don't know whose blood it is they also don't yeah. know where it came from or because like you could just like prick your finger right exactly and yeah. like hey look at that got blood on this handkerchief or you just stab a servant <laughs> or an animal <laughs> or an animal or make something like that looks like blood i mean i don't know there's probably something yeah, it's it's not hard. I'm guessing this is all a pretext to war. And I'm guessing that he needed his sister silenced, and so he had her killed. I'm guessing. Oh. Because I've... it's very convenient to me that she doesn't make it back, and this is the story he goes with, because she could flat out deny it. Maybe she w didn't want, you know, her husband to be killed. Yeah. Well, we have no water idea. under the bridge. It is. So that's another reason why I said I think maybe he didn't have cold feet. That was the other thing I was thinking about. He was just filled with so much religious passion. Yeah, He marched over there just to go teach those dirty, dirty Aryans a lesson. Exactly. You, you hit it right on the head. How dare we think otherwise. So remember, during this time, there's still a war going on between the Merovingian kings and the Burgundian king Godomar. I'm pretty sure it's a cold war. I'm pretty sure no battles are going on because some sources call it the first war and the second war. But in the, there was never any like peace agreement in between then. So I'm guessing that, you know, there were skirmishes back and forth. But we don't hear anything about this conflict until 532 when the Merovingians besiege Godomar and his forces in the Burgundian city Atun in 532. And around this time, fun fact, it's probably called Augustonium after the Roman Emperor's first emperor Roman Empire's first emperor Augustus. So there you go. Fun fact if you didn't know that. We know nothing about the siege, per usual, except for Godomar and his forces are decisively defeated. Godomar completely disappears from the record 
not even a speculate not even like speculation from sources that he died in battle no mention of his body even the sources are like yeah he just disappeared we know nothing when mia it took another two years to go by until all of burgundy was pacified and by pacified i mean they put down all the rebellions and killed anyone that tried to put up any type of resistance and then in uh, Merovingian fashion, each king took an equal share of the spoils of war and everything that it entailed. All right. So there you go. Burgundy now has been split up. Easy money. Exactly. In 534, you'll recall, maybe not, but uh, Clovis's eldest son, Theuderic, died, which meant it left his son, Theudebert, exposed and Kildebert and Clothar, Clo- Clothair, not Clothar, it's spelled Clothar, but it's Clothair, uh, got together and you're like, you know, let's do this again. We did it to two nephews, we can do it again. However, it became very clear, very fast, that Teutobert was not to be messed with, and both b- brothers backed away and went, my bad, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, I swear. And uh, since... Kildebert didn't have any legitimate sons. After this little showdown, uh, Kildebert formally adopted Teutobert as his son and heir, probably so Teutobert doesn't get any ideas about retaliation of, you know, trying to kill him thing. However, something broke down in diplomacy around 537 between Kildebert and Clotaire, because in that year, Kildebert now allied with Teutobert and went against his brother Clotaire, who he's been allying with all the way up to this point. So, you know, typical Merovingian, not just that, just Dark Ages fashion alliances switching back and forth. Yeah, per the norm. So both sides marshaled their forces on the battlefield. And for the first time that I think I can recall in Merovingian history, of Clovis's line, brother is going against brother in an actual battle. This is personal. It was no gonna st- change. Is it is it storm time? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> is it time for the storm? Yes, you are correct. You recall yes. <laughs> As you recall in the previous episodes, um way off in the distance, uh their mother, Clotilda, was praying and praying despite her children, you know, doing one of the most horrific acts in front of her. She, they still had their mother's love and she did not want any more bloodshed in her family. And she pleaded, pled with God, please don't let them kill each other. And as a result, the heavens literally opened up, dark rolls rolled in. And you called it. Lightning storms went, terrible downpour, whipping wind around the battlefield. Armies were useless, can't do anything. And this forced her sons to come to some sort of peace agreement, which they oddly abided by the rest of their lives. Well, you could say her forgiveness is uh, very saintly behavior. <laughs> there you go. Got to get your puns in. Well, I mean, that one's probably just a little on the nose. It, 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 it <laughs> is. Literally. It is. Yeah. 
So despite trying to end his brother's existence a little bit, he allies himself again with Clotaire, and together they capture Pamplona, Spain from the Visigoths. Pamplona is a city just past the Pyrenees Mountains between France and Spain. And, you know, boosted confidence after taking Pamplona. Felt pretty easy. So they're like, all right, we're going to march our forces south to Zaragoza. And they put that city under siege. Visigoths seem to be, you know, like a pretty easy force to keep killing right now. The Visigoths are to the Merovingians as the Suevi are to the Visigoths. I like it. Yep. Easy target. Beat them up. Get get some street cred. Yeah. Go yeah. back home victorious. Yeah. Uh, except this time they were forced to lift the siege. I could not find why. Maybe when we do the Visigoths, we'll figure out why. Dysentery. Possible. I mean, that that's that's already happened. So that's wouldn't be far off but all was not lost and this is why he is considered the more religious one in the melee he managed to loot the stole of saint vincent from the evil heretical arians good for him you probably know what that is you probably have never heard of St. Vincent. It is not St. Vincent de Paul, which is a pretty famous one. He's just a saint over in Spain. He had the unfortunate luck to be a Spanish deacon during the reign of Roman Emperor Diocletian. Uh, he was martyred by being tortured and then burned in 304 during the infamous Christian persecution of Diocletian. Diocletian is one of the main names that comes up when it comes to Romans persecuting the Christians. So, ah, checks out. Hmm. All right. So, as a result of re- acquiring the sacred relic, he was inspired. And in 543, he founded a church in honor of St. Vincent and he stored the holy relic there. And what was be- and apparently what was believed to be a piece of wood that Jesus Cross died on. I only got that from one source, and I'm not sure I believe that. Yeah, but that was one big source. asterisk. Yeah, uh, what is for sure is the church is still around today, and it is known as the Abbey de Saint Germain de Prez, and it's right in Paris or Paris in French. At least I think that's how you say it in French. To my knowledge, yeah. And then in June of 545, he received a letter which read that his mother Clotilda had died of natural causes. So he and his brother, Clotaire, were pallbearers in her funeral procession, and she was buried next to Clovis and their daughter Clotilda. So, so that they could let her down one last time. Oh, nice. Yes. That's, that is classic. It's That's, a classic joke. It, it but is yeah. classic. Yep. Oh, perfect. Uh, it fit too well. It did. It really did. Uh, Kildebert chose the date of December 23rd, 558, for the dedication of the church he founded as the Basilica of St. Vincent and the Holy Cross. However, also on that same very day, on December 23rd, 558, a day before Christmas Eve, Kildebert died. Um, 
we don't know why probably being 60 and he's in around 60 years and uh living during medieval times that'll do it to you uh it's kind of you know poetic that uh you know the date that his uh church is dedicated uh the sources were very clear that they said despite the king dying on that day they went ahead with the dedication anyway (laughs) for the church (laughs) well you know (laughs) we gotta open up this bad boy for business (laughs) yeah exactly gotta start gotta start collecting those dues yeah, well, it's not times. like the king's going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he really wasn't going anywhere. Uh, he had no male heirs. Uh, his kingdom was annexed by the last son of Clovis uh, standing, and that is the I, without bloodshed. The Frankish kingdoms are once again united under one king. That's all I got for Kildebert. Are you ready to rate him? Yep, well, let's do it. Royal power. So he acquired power by butchering his nephews and their household. He is record against Burgundy is with his alliance is two victories to one defeat. Ironically, because of that defeat, he ends up, he ends up, you know, taking his brother lands, brother's lands. And later he will become king of Burgundy. So he really wins in the end. Uh, against the Visigoths, sieges wise, he captures one, loses one. So, but he got really good loot from the quest, and he got schooled by his nephew, you know, and was forced to back down. He wanted to take his land like his other nephews, but uh, he he showed him up. So, so some good, some bad. Yeah. Um, this feels like an overall win. Oh, definitely. So we'll give it a seven out of ten. I'd agree. Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking. A medium seven and a seven for 14. All right, infamy. All right, so for aggravating factors, obviously, um, the murder of Clodomer's sons is one of the most infamous acts of history during this time. There is artwork made of this depicting the scene. And according to Gregory, he also successfully assassinated the Visigothic king Amalaric. And typically kings don't assassinate each other. That because you know they don't want it to happen to them. And this is pretty seen <laughs> as a pretty evil act. So versus just killing, you know, honorably through combat. Yeah. Um, pretty high on this one. Uh, I mean, I can't stress enough. We've talked. I mean, we've talked about the murders how many times now? Um, four. Yeah, a few times. Yeah, Oklahoma. it's the. Yeah, I think this is the fourth or fifth. No, this is the fifth time. Clotilda, so. Teuderic. Yeah. Um. Oh, maybe no, the fourth time. Teodoric, Clodomer, yeah, this is the fourth time. Pretty infamous act. Uh, so what are you what are you thinking for that one? The two. Let's two, give it nice big whopping eight. Yep, I agree. Feels like pretty infamous. Yeah, very infamous. Pretty infamous, and honestly, just the fact that we uh, get plenty of uh, record in some fashion either fictitious or otherwise 
It's pretty nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's uh, breaking the mold. Not always in a good way. Mostly not in a good way. All right. So we have a eight and an eight for 16. Religious passion. Uh, He gained control of an important holy relic. It's like finding a really good item, quest item for your deity. Uh, He built a basilica based on that relic, and uh, it's still around today. Um, So, you know, um, the still around today, I don't know if we give that legacy or if that is part of religious passion. Um, It's kind of both. It is. It is. We'll give it for both. But uh, the fact that, you know... I think this one is a little bit more uh, getting relics is pretty important in this time. As we've kind of discussed in past, it's like you're getting a fast pass to God's word, you know, God's help. Yeah. Another hand has touched the beacon. Exactly. Listen. So for this, and he built a church too, which is nice. That's that's a nice thing because I think uh, to me, not just that an abbey, one. not just a church, yeah. not just like okay. a church, an abbey. So a pretty okay. sizable one. So yeah, because I think my opinion, I say any anyone can come across a uh, a relic, <laughs> give or take. <laughs> right, you're on a battle. It's like look at that. You got a <laughs> nice shiny pebble, lucky penny. There are a this lot of relics this, one, this time. They have a Dorito that has the pattern that looks like <laughs> Jesus Christ's face was imprinted on one That's side. That's right. So, uh, but you know what? He did something with it. He didn't just destroy it or put it in his pocket and use it to uh uh as a keychain for his house keys. No, he built an abbey. So not a ton of not a ton of well, we don't know about any preaching or debating. But yeah, uh for this one uh out of 10 this is like to me another like eight. Wow, feels high, but like I don't know, building building churches probably did more. Feels like, yeah, I don't know. Oh, and he went after the Aryans, but he didn't yeah. say that was the reason. Questionable, yeah, yeah, quite, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Had a multitude of reasons, but Aryanism was not one of them. Well, it kind of was because his wife, his sister was being beaten because of her faith. So kind of. Yeah. Ah, I was originally thinking five, but you're pushing me up to. I'll give us important. Yeah. (sighs) Anyways, I'll give us I'll give us six. All right. Eight and a six for 14. Ability. Uh, so positive, uh, well, I'm sorry, not even just in general, not having a male heir is not positive. His entire reign, he doesn't have a male heir. Any kind of history will tell you when there's no male heir, there's instability in the kingdom. There's civil war right around the corner. Also civil war with your brother, that's going to create some instability. And then also getting schooled by your nephew and you have to back down and you know, adopt that nephew. That's going to show some weakness. There's some more instability that'll sh- show under the cracks. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, the the whole 
uh yeah no male heir thing is a is a pretty big pretty big downgrade not downgrade yeah sure bad marks um <laughs> it just makes me think about like the uh boy you know especially a lot a lot of a lot of people get the classic like oh when are you having when are you when are you having kids right imagine how stressful that's got to be for them <laughs> yeah yeah like like a lot, lot, lot of people feel it today. Yeah, imagine what it was like back. <laughs> it's a life. It's a, it's a, it's a harrowing, death-defying experience for the woman, and it's life or death sometimes for hunt for thousands of people on a kingdom. Like no pressure. No, nope. just nope. Yeah, just because a king. Yeah, just because a son is born, most of the time there's a civil war. <laughs> so. So yeah. no pressure. All right. So for stability feels like kind of not that great, but you know what? Things are, things kind of turn out all right in the end. He dies peacefully. Give him like a, like a two. I agree. Two. Two out of five. Two and a two for four. Royal demise. Ah, uh, he died on the same day his basilica was being consecrated. It's kind of poetic. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. I I am a fan of poetic justice in a story. But, yeah, yeah, that was so, yeah. He, fun. Kind of, he yeah he smiled with a or he he died with a smile on his face, knowing that his life's work was complete. Yeah, it's yeah. a solid one for me. Good storybook ending. <laughs> yeah, the end. All right, how much so you one. one? Uh Yeah, a one. One and one for two. Legacy. So, dynasty-wise, uh we'll go over what happens to his wife and daughters, uh two daughters next episode, but essentially his bloodline vanishes cuz he has no sons. Uh his kingdom collapses and is subsumed into his brothers. Uh, the Basilica is still here today, as I've discovered. Um, also, the church, the Basilica he founds, will actually be the royal necropolis for Nuestrian kings that will be buried there until 675. So as you can imagine, despite you know France being united, it's going to break apart again. And every time there's Nuestrian kings, uh, they're going to be buried there for uh, quite a while. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, what? Yeah, like a hundred years or so. Yeah, about a hundred years. Yeah, a lot of kings in that yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, honestly, the the whole like kingdom getting absorbed back feels kind of somewhat because I uh, things are things are shifting so rapidly between one king to the next. Mm-hmm. I feel like the identity that yeah, because it's not like. I can't imagine the identity of the folks underneath that kingdom being too radically different, right? Oh yeah, like, no. Like you know, these are just folks doing their thing. Like the fact that one gets absorbed into the other feels like it. Their legacy that doesn't impact their legacy a ton. No, so, it basically affects but he has the nobility too. Yeah, it basically affects the nobility, the high clergy, so nobility. But anyone lower than that, it doesn't really affect. I can't imagine, besides wars, that's the only thing that would affect them. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying is like that 
you know the the folks in the in the realm would probably consider themselves it's one relative ish identity if they have one like national identity isn't really formed yeah know. no oh no but like not the way we but there is like it. yeah but like there is some level of like yeah i'm like from this area right correct yeah you'd think but it's Maybe it's I'm... usually i am from this town yeah okay anyways so for legacy also because he does like pretty infamous thing kind of seems to carry he has artwork on him for it yeah that's true he does leave behind some artwork for that so uh I feel like this is, uh, let's see, out of 10. Tough, but I, I'm willing to, to to give out like a five here. Um, yeah, I would have given him like a seven had the kingdom not completely collapsed. Because of, you know, the Royal Necropolis, um, pretty huge. That's pretty, you know, that's pretty legacy right there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, yeah, like you said, the the killing of the that that story alone, pretty big legacy. Oh, know his name, but but losing your kingdom and having no legacy at, like bloodline after that, it's going to take huge points. I'm going to wax five points off of that so we'll do two points all right five and a two for seven so all right it's total time all right let's give the rundown what did he do jack no <laughs> um so royal power total of 14 pretty decent infamy Total of 16. Religious passion, a nice 14. So, like, pretty good so far. Yeah. Does all right. Pretty solid. Stability, big four. Royal demise, two. <laughs> Legacy is a seven. And then finally, your grand total out of 100. 57 that's not terrible that's pretty it's good it's not too bad it's not too bad well yeah with that 57 scott does he have the epicness to be crowned as high king in the hall of legends or is he just good enough to be a minor king in the hall of mediocrity or is he so bad that we should just burn him at the stake He's he's in the yeah the mediocrity. I think so too. I think we really gave too much credit to uh, Teodoric because to the guy, bell curve with you because because this guy did more than I, Teodoric I think did. But yeah, I yeah, he just doesn't yeah. scream high king to me. No, well because he didn't really like. I mean, he did stuff. It's not like he claims vast swaths of land. He kind of just uh, consolidated power, which is nice. It's yeah. really nice. Yeah. He consolidated it selflessly because he ended up dying <laughs> and kindly donating it all to his brother 
yeah. posthumously. Yeah, his, his brother gets his hand-me-downs. <laughs> so, yeah. I, in the long run, it's pretty good. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Until it breaks apart all over again. Yeah. Until until people learn that maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't be uh, dividing the kingdom up by our by our heirs. You know, growing up, I never thought I'd be so pro primogeniture when you read about the stories and stuff. But I'm so prime <laughs> pro primogeniture <laughs> in terms of kingdoms. If you're already doing a not fair, you know, government. <laughs> I don't know. This one seems pretty, it seems pretty fair for the kids involved. Oh, it does. Yeah. Very, very fair. And uh, sets them up for a life of violence. Well, yeah, we said fair, not peaceful. <laughs> that is true. Well, you got anything else on them? Uh, I have to say that once again, we're kind of getting more pieces to the puzzle because like we said, this is like the, the fourth time we talked about the murders of these uh of these nephews out we uh getting a little more of the family tree reasonably competent guy but just uh once again fell a little short of the mark it's kind of nice we're getting kings that are competent even though they fall a little short unlike when we had the visigoths and the vandals where you had the one great king and they were all disasters afterward you know like Clovis yeah. is the one great king, and yet we had pretty mediocre, but they did a did a good enough job afterward. Yeah, it's also nice to not have like the uh, the uh, old man and warrior society. Oh god, the vandals! Yeah. <laughs> so, all in all, pretty good, all things considered. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of Kildebert the First. Let us know what you thought of him. Do you agree with us on uh, placing him in the Hall of Mediocrity? Uh, you can catch us on Messenger on Facebook and Instagram at Quest for Power or email us at questforpowerpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed our podcast, please give us a five-star review on podchaser.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you tell a friend or family member, that also is hugely appreciated just to get us out there. Uh, we already are seeing growing numbers. So thank you very much, everyone, for uh, listening to us. We appreciate it. If you want some extra content from us and want to join the Lore Masters Guild and go on side quest adventures with us, you can do so at patreon.com slash quest for power. And that is all we have for this session. Next session, we are going to review the mighty Clotaire I, who we have heard about for many episodes now. And finally, with that, the king is dead. Long live the king. 